Second Kings chapter 14. I hope between Acts and Kings, you've been getting something out of these studies. We get a chance to criticize the dead <laughs> or, or, or extol them, as the case may be. These characters, <clears throat> like this evening, just the lessons all over the place to help us be better, better Christians. Uh, you know, all of the lessons to love our neighbor that come from the Christ is God telling his people that you don't have the right to treat people any way you want, anytime you want. And this was one of the mistakes that the kings, especially in the north, were notorious uh, for committing, for just treating people any way they wanted to treat, treat them. And so let's dig into this. Well, actually, I've got a little bit of an introduction. The title is The Thistle King. And last session, chapter 13 at the end, it concluded with a military victory for the king in the north. It was a glimmer of hope that the people would serve Yahweh, beating back this mighty Syrian army. In the north, Jehu, we remember him, the mad chariot driver, he eradicated the Baal worship. That was the, the pagan god that had been retained in Israel, uh, of course, to the shame of the people. But Jehu also, his children, the dynasty of Jehu, removed this Assyrian threat along with the worship of this, this particular false god. But the fundamental problems remained. False religion had just taken such a deep root in the land that it was the cause of all their troubles. That's why these lessons are, are here. In the south, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, Jehoiada, Jehoiada the priest ended the bow worship there. His nephew, Joash, rebuilt the temple. Uh, re re repaired it, pardon me. He did not rebuild it. He repaired it. And yet still there were those disloyal to Yahweh lurking around the kingdom trying to sway the people away from their God. It is no different to this very day. We have pastors and churches and whole denominations that are in opposition to the Bible. Many of them don't even believe in Christ. They just use his name as part of the ritual. Because the people expect it. Some of them. I get to use the name, that is. And, of course, there are those other churches that are very solid. They believe in the word of God. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's not think that what we're discovering here in the Old Testament is somehow far-fetched from where we live today. It is very relevant. Nothing new under the sun. Sin just keeps doing its work with every generation. The previous 19 chapters from 1 Kings 17 to 2 Kings 13 have 90 years of history. And we're about, at where we are this evening, we're about 800 years before the coming of Christ. Within those 90 years, the last 65 years dealt with the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. And what a benefit that has been to us. This 14th chapter forward, well, mainly 14 and 15, 
give us selected events from the histories of two kings, the one in the north and one in the south. And, of course, sprinkled in a few extra kings, usually their fathers. Of the nine kings who, whose reign is described in chapter 14 and 15, of the nine, five of them were assassinated. We expect something like this from the Roman Empire and the Caesars. But we are it's just always unsettling to find it amongst the people who should have done so much better. Amaziah, he will be assassinated. Zechariah, Shalom, Pekahiah, and Pekah, they're all going to be killed by their own people. Not one of the kings in the north, this is important, not one of the kings in the north encouraged his people to repent and seek Yahweh. There are whole households like this. We're not one of the parents will raise their children in the ways of Christ and will do whatever they can to keep their children from being around anybody who would influence them towards righteousness. Again, some churches and denominations have leaders who just don't believe in the Bible nor love Christ, and it shows. Well, that's the introduction. Now we begin, verse 1, <clears throat> the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. Did you get that? I don't think you're supposed to. <laughs> Again, uh, one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible to follow, and that is because we have kings in two different kingdoms in the same land with the same names and the same alternate names. And uh, you've got to follow the story very carefully to keep up with it. So as with last session, we'll concentrate not on the names but on the, the events. Um, and it's repetitive also, much of it, which adds to the confusion, constantly switching back and forth to kingdoms out of chronological order. This is how the book of Kings is given to us, and uh, we shouldn't be discouraged by this. We just take from it what we can, we can get. Then added to that, which makes this section so difficult, is the circular dating, the dating of one king's reign by the other king. In the fifth year of this king, this one came to power. I mean, it's just hard to keep up with. You, you, again, you have to build charts if you're that concerned about it, and, and many have, and they are good charts. So we know that it is uh, possible to trace this, get an idea of what's going on, but it doesn't make for good Bible study from a pulpit. Um, this, and one other thing, add to that, that these events took place 3,000 years ago in a foreign culture. <laughs> But yet the lessons are bound for right now. Well, it continues in verse 1, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. So this is the southern king where Jerusalem is. We're returning to the south now. Uh, his father was assassinated. We got that in last chapter, chapter 13. And his son, Amaziah, who it is referencing here, he's 25 years old now. And he will be king for 29 years. He will be the thistle king. He is another example, just another example of a good start and an awful finish with no excuse. 
you could understand if, you know, well, this tragedy happened to him. Well, we can understand it. We don't like it. Don't ex- condone it. But yet we understand it. Well, you can't understand it with he or his father. They had such potential. Verse 2, he was 25 years old when he came, became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. Well, she must have had been somewhat of notoriety for them to even mention her. We know nothing else about her. Verse 3. And he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. So it's you have to know the whole history to understand what the writer is saying. If you just took this verse, you would be misled because he did not continue to do right in the Bible it's not self-correcting, but self-addressing, you could say, and some self-correction, too. If, if so if there's an area where you think there is a mistake, it corrects itself through content, um, context in, in another place, and we, we can all be happy with that. His heart is not loyal. Second Chronicles 25 gives us a parallel story of what's happening and more information. Now, this is boring to you unless you know that this is God's word and there's going to be something here to speak to you, to get it inside, to deal with the things of life. Yet not like his father, David. David never abandoned Yahweh. Yes, he stumbled in sin. Who doesn't? We shouldn't be so shocked. Who he sinned? Well, he's born a sinner. What do you expect? As he reacted to that sin. That's what matters. But David, David is the man who coined the phrase, who God, God did it using David to coin this phrase, the Holy Spirit. It doesn't show up till David writes the 51st Psalm, and he's repenting. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But prior to that, it was the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of God, and that's how it was communicated. But David comes along, and he's so full of God, that when he writes and he's repenting with his contrite heart, he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence. What a dynamo. And you do wrong to put David in a negative light and leave him there. Yeah, there are those sins. Who doesn't have them? So much more to the man than that. And God says so. God is the one that says so. Because David, the throne of Messiah is connected to the throne of David even into the millennial reign. He's the most mentioned man in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Well, Psalm 51, again, uh, you can reference that if you're not familiar. Most Christians are very familiar with with Psalm 51. Uh, Here is also in this third verse a good example of the different Uses of the Hebrew word father. Well, David has been dead for 200 years or more. And so, of course, it's not meaning this is the father of, of Azariah, but accord, according to the line, the family line, that dynasty. And so that's just interesting. He did everything as his father Joash had done. Understatement. He really did. Uh, in the days of the priest Jehoiada, he did very well, his father. And then when Jehoiada died, he became an apostate. 
So in several respects, this son, Amaziah, his reign resembles his father. And here's a lesson for us, because if you have had unfortunate, uh, been unfortunate in that you've had a poor father, that does not excuse you from being a good one. Uh, you can follow. You can, you can just continue it or not. Uh, you, it's our father who is in heaven. I had to learn that in, in ministry. I know I've said this story before, but uh, there was a time I was ministering to a bunch of men who had bad fathers. The fathers were notoriously drunkards and wife beaters and children beaters. And when I would preach Christ to them, I would speak, you know, when you pray, our father who is in heaven. And the Lord pointed out to me that they don't know what a good father is. You have to clarify that to them. You have to tell them that the father in heaven is not like any other father. Even a good father on earth is not like our father in heaven. And there was a lot of progress in teaching about the Bible, in defining a simple word to most of us as father. Well, this king, Amaziah, and his father, both were zealous for Yahweh at first and then became apostates later on after God had blessed them. It wasn't like, boy, God keeps messing everything up for me. I can't get anywhere. They were getting just huge successes. And that's how they, you know, there's nothing like an ingrate, right? You do something for somebody and they don't appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> in ministry, you can, you can, a person comes up with an idea, oh, good idea. And you do it, and, and there's another good idea. And they come up, well, I don't want to do that one. That's all they remember. They don't remember that you've green-lighted one or two other. Well, there are some people that are just that way. Both father and son, these two kings, eventually opposed the prophets and became intolerant of their criticism. His father, of course, killed Zechariah the prophet, not the one who wrote the book of Zechariah, a different one. This one is going to threaten to kill a prophet for the criticisms that the prophet gives him. Both created a conspiracy against themselves because of their poor leadership. People said, we've got to get rid of this guy. And were assassinated. Both were murdered by people, their own servants, because of their poor leadership. Both were unsuccessful in war because of how they treated God. And both had to withstand a siege on their capital, which is brutal. Both of them paid off their enemy by surrendering great amount of wealth from the kingdom and from the house of God. Looking at Second Chronicles 25, the parallel version or account, and he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, but not with a loyal heart. That makes me ask myself, am I serving Jesus Christ in my heart? Is my heart loyal to him? Yeah, I may you know, lose it here and there, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to get it all correct with him. Second Chronicles 25 again, verse 27 this time. After, after the time that Amaziah turned away from following Yahweh, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. That's how it ends for this king. 
It must have been painful for the historians to write these things. It wasn't as though they were just his patriots, and it was that kind of pain. Ah, this is my kingdom, my country, and I'm sorry to see my countrymen behave this way. Well, that was part of it, but it went beyond that. These were the people of God. They, they, the historians believed the promises, but they also believed the consequences that God had foretold would happen, and and, and had to have been painful for. For all of them throughout the Old Testament, because it is one continuous story of defeat, glimmer of hope, defeat, glimmer of hope. Verse 4, however, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. This is constantly repeated within the the, the, the times of the kings, and it points to the limitation of the loyalty of the people. It was uh, very shallow. Loyalty was very shallow with many of them. These forbidden centers of worship where they offered incense and blood sacrifice, uh, it was forbidden by God. You you just kind of get your head around this. Well, why were they doing it? They had that, that much of the Bible to know better. And the synagogues come along. Well, the synagogues were never meant to be places of ritual. There were no blood sacrifices there, no incense burning unto Yahweh. That was reserved for the temple. The synagogues concerned themselves with teaching. They assembled to teach the word of God. And the church is built on that foundation. The Apostle Paul really is the one that uh, blazed that trail for us. And and to this day, we, we do much as the ancient synagogues, although we don't have the women sitting on one side and the children separated by the men on the other side. I'm sure there are some some churches that would like to do that or do do that. But anyway, coming back, the high places, they were still there. And uh, it was convenient for the people. Yeah, you know, I like to go to Jerusalem to worship, but I just go down, you know, to this little center, this high on a hill over here, and I can do it there. No, you cannot. Your offering is then voided. It's useless. Like voiding out a warranty with much, much, more horrific separation is the word of the saint and it meant nothing to many of these people to all of them that were engaging in this kind of worship false worship to the christian we are to have contact with unbelievers without merging we don't join them in their view of things in their position of who christ is nor do we view them as our enemies simply because they're unbelievers. Leviticus 26, 30, I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. My soul shall abhor you. That's God speaking to the people. They didn't like that. So they just ignored it. But it didn't go away. And uh, you know, God has never been, you know, <laughs> well, I've got to get him into the church. Don't tell him that. Christianity, as well as with the Jews, is supposed to be in the face, get up in the face of lies about God. And I mean, there are exceptions where God just says, all right, cool it. I've got this one. You just leave it. But there are other times God says, you're supposed to be preaching what I'm telling you to preach. John the Baptist was up in the face of Herod. You're not to have your brother's wife, punk. Okay, he didn't say that part. 
but it should have been there. That's, I forget about the punk statement. The punk, the insignificant one. Uh, as an apprentice iron worker, the apprentices are called punks because they are insignificant. <laughs> and it's quite humbling. And you become a journeyman, then you get to call the other ones. Anyway, coming back to this, uh, <laughs> we are supposed to be forthright and not hide truth from people and not become nitpickers and Pharisees. That is not the spirit of it all, at all. But we know when we're supposed to share. Unless you've been so reluctant over the years, you've lost your sense. You, you, you're not sensitive to it anymore. You've lost the skill. And I, I'd like to remind us, the Levites and the priests in Israel were to be skilled. They had to be trained. They had to maintain their training. And uh, they just could not just, well, just, you know, just throw the thing up on the fire and cook it. There was a, a protocol to follow. And Christians, a royal priesthood, we're supposed to be trained too. That's why we do Bible study. Why else do we do Bible study? Well, to be Christ-like. Why? Why do you want to be Christ-like? To go to heaven. Okay, but that's not, that's because of what Christ has done. Christ-likeness is to primarily allow us to be used to bring others into the kingdom. Because God doesn't use angels at this time in history to save lost souls. Second Kings tells us, because where it says here in verse 4, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on high places. All the kings struggle with this. Hezekiah put it down. Hezekiah uh, is going to be the son of this king. Second Kings 18. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillows, cut down the wooden images, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. That's in their face. That king said, it's nothing. It is not Yahweh. You hear burning incense to this thing that Moses used in the desert. Moses is not God. We love Moses. We take his word. That's how we know how to worship God. But he is not God. And bowing down to some relic like this is a cursed thing. And Josiah will come along. He'll pulverize. I mean, he goes up into the north and he starts digging up graves. I mean, he just goes in their face. And so it just... Um, you know, why do, why do I have to hear about what the world is doing that is decadent, but the world can't hear about what Christ has done that is righteous? Why is there a double standard there? Well, it takes a little bit more than just knowing that because you just can't, you know, a bull in a china shop just walk around the world causing arguments and fights wherever you go. That's not the spirit of Christ. But it is, it is an understanding that when, you, when it is time to share the gospel, you share the truth. Because holding back the truth about salvation because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings sends them to hell. And what does it do for you? Well, that's the way it is. I think that um, is a, just a joy in knowing God has brought someone in front of you. And what happens, just because he brings them in front of you doesn't mean they're going to get saved. But many times it does. You could be the last exit before hell for that person. Verse 5, and now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. Well, what son would not, if, uh, given these conditions? And so he exacts justice, and he's following the law at this point. This is what the writer means when he says he did all according to his father. 
and then he adds a part about David to just warn you it's coming. But verse 6, then the children of the murderers, he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which Yahweh commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. So much for generational curses that somebody thought up as cute, just a, a, a sophisticated excuse to get away with sin. Uh, the fathers, if you know, you're not going to be judged for what somebody else did. And, that's, and he's upholding that. He, he executes justice on the assassins, the murderers, in accordance with the scripture, the law of Moses, the books of Moses. We believe that Moses is the one that has given to us Genesis through Deuteronomy. There have been uh, 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 amendments to it. Uh, he didn't, well, Moses didn't write, and Moses died. <laughs> Someone had to come back and put that in. And so there, we understand that. That's accept, totally acceptable. We fuss when those details are left out. Now, why didn't they tell us more about that? Well, that's how it is. Verse, that's how it is covers a lot of things, doesn't it? You can just say that's how it is. And that's the end of the argument. <laughs> well, that's, that doesn't work if you're pulled over for speeding. Uh, <laughs> tell the officer, well, that's how it is. And he's going to give you the ticket and say, no, that's how it is. Verse 7. He killed 10,000 Edomites. These were greedy people. They ate everything. <laughs> the Edomites. Edomites, anyway. I know, you, you know, where are you going to find humor like this? You just, uh, let's get to church quick because we're going to get a good Bible study and the funniest things are going to be said. He killed 10,000 Edomites. And you'll never see that word again the same way now. In the Valley of Saul and took Thalab by war. And called its name Jachthiel to this day. Well, David had years ago defeated the Edomites in this same valley. These are the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. And where it says he took Selah by war, um, this is the Nabataean area, and that is, is now a tour site today. And, uh, but anyway, he renames the place, called its name Jachthiel to this day. It was called The Rock. He changed the name to Conquered by God. And that sounds very admirable when we hear that. Well, so what's wrong with this king, Amaziah? He goes in and he wins the battle for the Lord, which, which the prophet, we don't get it here in Kings, but there was a prophet involved leading up to this. He's going to war, and he hires these mercenaries from the northern kingdom. And the prophet says, what are you doing? You can't hire these guys. They say they're Jews, but they don't live like Jews. They're, they're, they're pagans. Send them home. He says, but I paid all this money. He says, God will give you more money. Don't worry about that. Okay, I'll send them home. He sends them home. As they go home, they raid and they pillage. The king doesn't know that yet. I think the king remained resentful over sending these guys home and losing that money. Because what he is going to do is he conquers the Edomites, renames their city to show that he is the king and possessor of their area, and then he takes their gods back to Jerusalem and worships them. This is the kind of, I mentioned to you, we get to talk about these people that have died long ago so we don't make their mistakes. 
He defeated the Edomites because he obeyed God when the prophet confronted him. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14. <clears throat> well, actually, let's see how much we want to take, how the time will allow. Um, moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands. That's not what I want to. I would be here all night cutting through that, so let me get to the part where he gets crazy, and that's verse 14. Now it was so after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, that's in Edom, and set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Therefore, the anger of Yahweh was aroused against Amaziah. And he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which you, which could not rescue their own people from your hand? Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? And so it was, as he <clears throat> talked with him, that the king said to him, talking to the prophet now, have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. In other words, be quiet. Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. So the prophet confronts him. And he tells the prophet, shut up or else I'll have you killed. And the prophet says, fine, but God's going to get you for this. And that's eventually what happened. Uh, I mean, you just scratch your head. You hear these stories, but we, we see people, you know, don't like how God, they don't like their life. They think God is mean because he doesn't give them the successes that they see other people or perceive that other people have. We covered this Sunday. The main reason God says that he considers himself good in the presence of sinners is because he doesn't destroy sinners, but makes a way for them to go to heaven. He doesn't have to do that, but he does. So I think he regretted sending those troops home in verses 9 and 10 of Second Chronicles 25. And harboring that resentment to strike out at God, he, he changes gods. I'll take these gods. We see this in atheists. Some atheists are raised in a church. And something happened. I think this was Ted Turner's story. You know, his sister died, and they prayed to God, and she died. And he just has this resentment towards God now. Same idea. He's going to change gods. Paul writes about this in, to the Hebrews. He says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. It's the, the goodness of God. How do you fall short of that? By rejecting him. He continues, Paul does. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. What we're looking at that happened right here in this 14th chapter of Kings. He fell short of the grace of God because he changed gods. He had no reason for this, no justification, no reason, rational mind. And that's what the prophet says. Well, you defeated them. Their God couldn't protect them. Why would you want that to be your God? He's not going to be the last one to do this. You want to come across another king, he goes, he defeats them. He sees their altar. So this is wonderful. Look at the artwork on this. That craftsmanship can't be found in Jerusalem. Let's bring it back. And he sets it up there in Jerusalem. We'll get to him another time. Being led by the Lord, as the prophet was to speak to this king, will sometimes offend people. 
those who are shallow, those who are immature, those who are carnal. Christians, uh, let me tr ask, pray about this. And then you say, oh, sure, go pray about it. And you come back and you say, oh, the answer is no. Oh, boy, you just lost a friend sometimes. May that not be us. If someone doesn't want to come to your birthday party, why give them a hard time? More cake for you. Once Christian said, God has two dwelling places, heaven and the contrite heart. So has the devil, hell and the proud heart. The proud heart exalts itself over God, over others. The world calls it arrogance, one part of it. Verse 8, then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come, let us face one another in battle. Okay, so the story is continuing. He comes back, he defeats the Edomites, he brings their gods, he changes gods. But he's a little, he gets word that the mercenaries he sent back to the northern kingdom have launched these raids and have taken much spoil because they wanted to go to war because they got to loot the cities that they conquered. That was their payment. And he took that away from them. Like we came all the way from the north. We're like, what, 20 miles? Come on. So they come, and they, they're fine. We, and on the way home, they're, they're angry. And they, God would have stopped that, I believe, if the people were, were righteous with him, as the prophet pointed out. But anyway, he, he's angry now. So he sends to the king in the north. You know, you, you kind of the spirit of... Your people, your troops, raided villages. I tried to give, you know, work with you, but it didn't work out. That, that was uncalled for. So he sends this note to the king in the north. Let's have a civil war. Let's fight each other. Second Chronicles 25, verse 13. But as for the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah had discharged, so they would not go to battle with him, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon, killed 3,000 in those cities, and took much spoil. And so this, of course, and I can understand the king saying, man, now that is just an act of war. I can understand thinking that way. But he removes God. Yahweh, he never says, well, you know what? I changed gods. Maybe I did, I did this. You know, maybe it's, it is me. He doesn't do anything like that. He picks a fight that he's going to lose. He had this thing, this king, Amaziah, for not asking God first. That's why the prophet had to confront him. I should read it anyway, Second Chronicles 25, uh, verse 9 and 10. Uh, no, let's just back it up. Verse 6 Speaking about the king, he hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel and 100 for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for Yahweh is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. You've got to love the prophet. He said, well, fine, you want to go, go. He says, be strong in battle because you're going to lose. That's the idea. And he says, even so. God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? Which to them wasn't enough. They wanted that loot. 
And the man of God answered, Yahweh is able to give you much more than this. And then he dis discharges the troops. He stays bitter. The troops are bitter. The only one that is really even keel is the prophet. And so uh, there he acted without counseling the counsel of God. Later, he's going to get the counsel from his own men without the prophet. Verse 9. So Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. This is the thistle king. The king in the north gets the letter from the south. We're going to go to war. And he, he says, don't do this. It, why bring all the sorrow on everybody? You're going to get your clock cleaned. Well, he's feeling strong. He just defeated the Edomites because God gave him the victory. Well, so did the king in the north. He had victories against the Syrian powers. He equal. So he's going to he's roasting Amaziah at this point. He's calling him a thistle, a thorn bush, and he's called referring to himself as a mighty cedar. You've ever seen these trees? They, they're beautiful. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them, but there's some variety. Just Lebanon may, gives the the story this romantic touch because the cedars of Lebanon were notorious for their beauty. The wild beast doing the trampling of the thistle, Amaziah, that's the thistle, is Jeroboam's, I mean Jehoash's army. Both the cedar and the thistle thrive in Lebanon. And I'm told in my readings that wherever you found this mighty cedar, you would find these thistles and bram bramble bushes. They, they would thrive also. The noble with the ignoble. Good people mixed in with bad people. Thriving side by side. Sounds like life. Sounds like some churches. Sounds like some homes. Some work in a shop or an office with thistles and some are cedars. Sometimes you fly on the same plane, share the same road with them. This is a great lesson from that, that wherever the cedar grows, so do the thistles. And, of course, these things poke and stick as emblems of sin, going back to Eden. There are people, like the cedar, who have strength and dignity and beauty and contribute to their environment. And then there are people who are like the thistle. They just stick it to you. Condense it to you have people who are generators of good things and blessings and friendship and peace. And then you have those who drain those things take them away. They drain a church. They come into a church and they just drain. Fussing, complaining, getting others to fuss and complain about you. Nothing. And they're so unloving. What evidence do you have of that? Well, low roaders. They, they ride the low road. Arrogant, shallow, mean, critical of everybody except themselves. Backbiting, contemptible. They just are they're ludicrous to everybody except themselves. And this is what we're talking about Thursday, uh, Sunday. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I quoted this Thursday and it fits right here. Pray for us, Paul said, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Well, this was an unreasonable and wicked person. You, 
And the youth, you have to learn how to deal with these things in Christ. Even in an early age, you're going to come across other kids that are going to make life difficult. They're going to be thistles in your life. The Apostle Paul said, Satan has sent a messenger to buffet me, a thorn in my side. See, Satan can harass us. I think Saul was, Paul was referring to just the disrespect he got as an apostle. Uh, imagine if, if God was working in your life. I've had this happen. God is doing something. You're saving souls. You're teaching people. And then someone comes along and says, well, where's your certificate? Well, I don't have one from you people. I've, I've got an invisible one. And looky here, I got a knuckle sandwich. Would you like a bite? Anyway, okay, that's not righteous. <laughs> but it does reflect the irritation that some people can just stick it to you. And they're doing nothing. They're doing nothing. What are you doing for Christ? Absolutely nothing. But you can come along and you can just challenge somebody. And that's what they were doing with Paul. They're not doing anything for the kingdom of God except questioning him with doubt. Anyway, in, in the king's from the north response, he sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, that's the king in the north, saying, give your daughter to my son. So the thistle, the lowest and most disrespected in the forest, because no, nobody wants to be around these things. You, you know, the devil's walking stick that grows around here, this, this, this rod with all these giant thorns on it. Nobody wants that. Anyway, uh, that's what he's, he is saying to him. He's saying, your request, you are making a request as though you're my equal. Like, you can marry my daughter. You're, you're not on this level. That's what he's, he's roasting him with this. We have an equality issue. You're too low class. And not, not low class as in poor. Low class as in indecent behavior. And at the bottom of verse 9, and a wild beast was in Lebanon, passed by and trampled like it was nothing. And my army's just going to trample you like you're nothing. And that's what's going to happen. Well, we need to move on. I see we're only at verse 10. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that. Stay home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you and Judah with you? Um, he's just saying, listen, don't, don't do this. You're going to get your clock cleaned. Just, your people are going to suffer because of you. Cut it out. But he's unreasonable and wicked, verse 11. But Amaziah would not heed. <clears throat> Therefore, Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. And so he and Azariah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. <clears throat> this is the first time there's a civil war in Israel in 100 years. Verse 12, and Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Well, it takes one fool. It takes one Vladimir Putin to bring so much horror, so unnecessarily so. Verse 13, then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of As. And see, this is why you just wish they'd stop it. Try reciting this out loud 20 times. Anyway, at Beth Shemesh, and he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and the gate of, uh, uh, where am I? I? lost my spot. Wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate 
400 cubits. So 600 feet of wall. And these, these walls are giant stones. This is not just like a, little bricks. Uh, this is some major damage. Verse 14, <clears throat> and he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of Yahweh, and in the treasuries of the king's house, and hostages, and returns to Samaria. Those hostages were, were going to be slaves. So whatever gain Amaziah got from defeating the Edomites, he lost it all because he just could not listen to the man of God. He is taken captive. We don't know. We know he's taken captive to back to Jerusalem, from Beth Shemesh back to Jerusalem. And likely the, the king is saying, tell him to open the gates or we're going to cut your throat. And that's what's likely going on there. And, and he probably leaves him in Jerusalem because he's no use to him in, in the north. Verse 15, now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, his might, how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Um, I'm just making, did I miss a verse? Well, thank you. Just checking if you know, because I don't. <laughs> I do. Verse 16, and Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then Jeroboam, the son of, his son, reigned in this place. This is so confusing. You know, all these names repeated over and over. Like, come on. But to them it was not confusing. So he joins his ancestors in death. That's what it means by he rested with his fathers. This is the, the king in the north, not Jerusalem area. He reigned for 41 years, the longest reign of a northern king. During his time, Hosea and Amos ministered. We'll come to that in the end. Within 60 years of his death, the northern kingdom will be no more. The Assyrians will come and take them all away. Verse 17, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash and the son of Jehoiaz, king of Israel. So, more names. <laughs> What's happening here is it gives us a timestamp. He lives for 15 years after the death of Jehoash which means his assassination did not immediately follow his apostasy. As it would read, if you're not careful, you, you would think that, you know, they, he, he followed the other god, was defeated, and then they killed him. But no, some time went on, and evidently there were those that also harbored resentment for him and probably blamed him, rightfully so, for their losses. When the king came and took people away hostage and, and looted the kingdom, they suffered loss, and eventually they had an opportunity to kill him. Uh, there was enough sentiment, and, and they did. Uh, verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, back to the king of the south, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? <clears throat> Which um, we covered them in verse 3 when I mentioned the contrast between he and his father, or the similarities. Verse 19, and they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but... They sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. He runs to the north. And again, it's probably 10 or 11 years after his defeat um, at the hands of the northern king. Verse 20, and they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. So someone cared enough to give him a royal send-off. Verse 21, and all the kings of Judah 
took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. So there we go again. <laughs> Azariah, Amaziah. I, I mean, it's just, it's just it's like a lot of work. After 30 years, I just have to pay attention or else you just get tripped up. And I, I catch commentators, good commentators, getting mixed up sometimes. I can't blame them. I, I read it and go, whew, man, he got that one wrong. I'm so happy about that. Anyway, uh, this name, Azariah, 28 men in the Old Testament have that name. This is King Uzziah. So he's called Azariah in Kings, but the prophets, Hosea and Amos and Isaiah, call him Uzziah. And it's like there's more confusion. Well, that's, so don't be frustrated. That's why I'm pointing it out. I'm not going to bring it up when I get to heaven because it's going to end ugly. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> It'd be so far from anybody's thought. Anyway, uh, you, king Uzziah is going to be a good king, 52 years on the throne. He is the one that, that is the, when, when Isaiah said, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up a train of his robe, filled the temple. This is that king. He, he's a good king. He makes some mistakes. Ooh, again, woohoo, big surprise. Uh, anyway, verse uh, 22, And he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Well, he, he fortified Jerusalem, Uzziah did. He did good things. This is all the way down to the Red Sea, to the Gulf of Aqaba. And verse 23 now. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. So we go back in the story again. More of the names. No chronological order. It's just that they're getting the facts in. I, I really believe that um, there's the shortage of paper. <laughs> it's like, you know, you made a mistake. You should have put that in chapter 12. <laughs> didn't have chapter divisions. It even made it more complicated. But it's almost humorous. But the truth is, it's all there. All the knowledge is there. Nothing is lost. It's there. It's just, it just makes you work to get it out. Sort of like any precious gem beneath the surface. You've got to work for it if you want it. Uh, where am I? Well, these northern kings, none of them exalted Yahweh in a meaningful way. But not all of them were bad as far as civil matters went. Non-spiritual affairs, they, they, some of them did well. And Jeroboam II, he did very well. This is the second man king to hold the name Jeroboam. The first one was the one that introduced calf worship after Solomon. Uh, he did some pretty good things for Israel, but he died a uh, idolater. The prophet Jonah, we'll get to him in verse 25 briefly, ministered at this time, and this is why they had the successes. But the people were more interested in wine and circus and jobs and peace than they were of character, the character of holiness. Uh, this is always short a short-sighted approach to prosperity. We saw this in the Clinton years where people didn't care that you had a president making mockery of the office. What does if mean? And just the silliness of some of you lived through that and how vilified the prosecutor Ken Starr was when the president was guilty. But the people just didn't care. As long as they had a job, who cares? I'll vote for him again kind of a thing. Well, it was ten times worse, or just figuratively speaking, because this was about... The, the wrong religion. Hosea 
The prophet writes, the land has committed great harlotry by departing from Yahweh. And uh, that he ministered during this time and gives us an idea of what was going on. Verse 24, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, Jeroboam. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. So two Jeroboams at work there, separated by a couple of hundred years. Uh, not quite that much, but a long time. Um, we've commented enough on the first Jeroboam. Uh, this king was just a big hit with the people because, you know, he, he just didn't care about the Bible. He just wanted people to be happy. Am, uh, Amos the prophet writes about these times, he, God speaking through him, I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O children of Israel, says Yahweh? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, do not prophesy. So Amos comes along, he says, let me tell you how it was in the days of Je this Jeroboam II. When you had a righteous person trying to obey Christ, they would look to stumble them. Any kind of way. The Nazarites took a vow, I'm not going to drink anything from the vine, grape juice or alcohol, I'm not going to have it. And he's like, come on, and they get them to drink. Then the prophets, such as Amos, would come up and say, thus says the Lord. And they said, why don't you just shut up? We don't need your Bible thumping around here. Just go find somewhere else to do it. That's essentially what they told Amos. And he kept on drilling, <laughs> drilling the truth home. The wealthy lived in luxury. The poor were oppressed. And they were robbed of their rights and their possessions by the wealthy and the courts. That's how corrupt it had become. Verse 14, he restored this Jeroboam. Here's his civil victories. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath, the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of Yahweh, God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Now, so this is the same Jonah who wrote the book of Jonah, who was swallowed by the goldfish. <laughs> it wasn't a goldfish, but it was a fish. And uh, anyway, he was very much helpful to this king taking back territory. And so what we see is the sovereignty of God saying, I know he's a rotten king, but I still have to protect my people. And, and that is what was achieved. And that's why we have a people for Messiah to come and fulfill the prophecies spoken in relation to the children of Jacob, the children of Israel. Uh, anyway... This is the one that runs to the sea, to the Dead Sea, uh, to the Red Sea, sorry. Verse 26, for Yahweh saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. So that's why he sent Jonah to help the people. Verse 27, and Yahweh did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash. So the sovereignty of God is saying, I have a rotten king, but I'm going to save my people nonetheless, lest they be wiped out. Um, verse 28, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might and how he made war and how he recaptured Israel from Damascus and Hamath, what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? We don't have that book. Verse 29, 
So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his place. This son, Zechariah, is not a righteous man. He reigns only for six months and is assassinated. And so uh, just the blessings God blessed in spite of the people, but nowhere near what he wanted, how he wanted to bless. And I think we all consider that in our own lives. Lord, I don't want to clog the pipeline from your throne to my life. And uh, the born-again Christian is on top of it. The shallow and disgruntled may not be. Let's pray. Our Father, again, the lessons, uh, are, they fly off the pages. We hit a verse that just has so much to say. May we, may we make the most of it. We also ask that you get us all home safely tonight. And these things in Jesus' name, amen.